All right. Uh, welcome back to week number three of four of the sermon series on the book of Jonah. If Jesus gave our church a report card, what kind of grades do you think we'd get? I was uh, pondering that question the other day. If you know, Jesus was sitting in the back row, kind of observing a, a Sunday morning, if he gave it more than one Sunday but stuck around for a month or six months or a whole year, and had to you know, just say what's going well, what could use some improvement, what do you think he would say? Now, I'm totally guessing. Obviously, Jesus didn't send me a PDF and an email this morning. Uh, and I wonder if you agree with my analysis because I, I think that Jesus would look at the way that our church tackles some pretty difficult topics and I think he would be pleased. You agree with that? Like We don't shy away from things if they're countercultural or complicated or taboo. We just grab the book, open it up, say what God says with compassion and truth. I think he would love how we do that as a church. And, and I say this because he's blessed us in some substantial ways, I think he'd be really pleased with how much we talk about that. That the, the feel, the mood of our church is not just do, do, don't, don't, but it's so much about what Jesus has done. Are you hearing about forgiveness and mercy and salvation and heaven as a gift and we're justified by his blood? That's like not just a Christmas and Easter slapped onto the end of a sermon kind of thing. That's, that's what we're all about, the gospel of God and not just the, the laws that we should obey as Christians. I think he'd love that. But there's another part that I'm not sure Jesus would be so excited about. I think it wouldn't be our best grade. I'm almost positive it wouldn't be my best grade. I think the thing that Jesus would want me and us to improve on is our clarity on the doctrine of repentance. Here's why I say that. Every year I have a chance to go to a local Christian high school and speak to about 100 high school seniors, many of them who've been raised in this church or local churches like ours. Uh, we talk about a little book that, I, book that I wrote on Christianity and sexuality. All the kids get to send me a, a question anonymously. And as I read these questions, not just one or two of them, but hundreds of them over all these years that I've done this, I've realized that these kids really understand the idea of sin. Right? That sin is serious to God. He's a holy God. He's a perfect God. When we don't do what he wants, that matters much to God. The wages of sin is death. I, I think these kids get that. And based on their questions, I think they understand that God is the one who forgives sins. You don't have to do enough good things like climb some ladder to get back to God. There's no scales to balance out your bad with your good. They understand that God loved the world so much he sent his son and through that son Jesus we have forgiveness of sins and the free gift of heaven. They get that. But the thing that I sense that a lot of them don't get is Repentance. For sure, everyone in the world has sinned. For sure. God loves everyone in the world so much he sent his son. But, but that part in the middle about repentance and faith, about a, a change of heart, about what gets someone over the line from outside God's family to inside of it, based on their feedback, their confusion, I, I think, I, I don't know if they get it. And then it hit me one year. These kids don't go to another church. Lots of them come to this church. I can't blame another pastor for not making it clear. I have to take a long look in the mirror. 
Uh, These are the kids who've been coming here for years, week after week, hearing me talk sermon after sermon, and they don't understand what I would say is a fundamental part of the Christian faith. I, I wonder if there's not tons of room for improvement. Have I taught them clearly about something Jesus talked about all the time, about repentance? And as long as I'm asking the question, have I taught you clearly? Well, let's see. Got a pen in your hand? Take it out, let me hear the click. Uh, I left you a spot in your bulletin. If you're watching at home, you can find something to write down on. A spot that just says repentance equals. I'm going to give you 20 seconds of awkward silence and I want you to write down anything and everything you can think of repentance. What what is it? What what does it look like? How do you know that you're repentant? Why is it important? Whether it's your first time in church in a long, long time or you've been here every single Sunday and every time, you're ready for 20 seconds, everything you know about repentance on your marks, get set. Three, two, one. All right, pens down. Um, all right, take your paper, exchange it with the person next to you. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Didn't you always get nervous when the teacher would say that? Oh, man, I wish I had time to read all of your notes because I'd be super curious what you said. Uh, like, if you thought repentance was something that happens here in your heart, it's like a change of the way you feel about something, or it happens here in your head, it's just a change in your beliefs and way of seeing the world, is it... A change with your hands? Is repentance something you do that people can see? Do you really need repentance if God loves the world and Jesus died for the sins of everyone? I wonder how you processed all those big questions. Because I can tell you this, to our Lord Jesus, repentance mattered so much. Let me show you in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, Jesus is verses away from zipping back up into heaven and here's what he says to his friends. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. There it is. Forgiveness at the cross. Resurrection on Easter morning. And, some of Jesus' closing words, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. What were Peter and James and John and Mary and Martha and me and you supposed to do in the name of Jesus? Go to all nations. Doesn't matter where you're from. You could be Russian, Brazilian, Mexican, North American. You should preach in Jesus' name for sure. But what should you preach? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You're about to find out that repentance matters massively. It's the thing that gets you from outside to inside, from in danger of the wrath of God to not being afraid for a single second of his judgment. Repentance is the thing, if done rightly, that can restore relationships and marriages, fathers with children. It can keep a church together in love and unity. Before I say amen, I hope you're going to know a ton about the biblical teaching of repentance. Uh, Because that's what Jonah chapter 3 is all about. Uh, We're in our third installment here of the book of Jonah. If you're just jumping in, uh, we meet this guy Jonah. He's kind of bad because he runs from God, uh, but God goes after him. Uh, God catches him. There's this big fish involved. It sounds kind of crazy. you got to listen to last week's sermon. Uh, this fish swallows Jonah, vomits him back up. Jonah, I think, dripping, <laughs> needing a shower. And God speaks to him for the second time. And we're going to learn all about that and all about repentance here in Jonah chapter 3. Here's how the chapter starts. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah goes. And don't miss the numbers uh, here in these verses. He goes to this huge metropolitan city. Picture like wandering the streets of, of New York. Right? It takes three days just to get through, not like a little town that some of you grew up in. It's massive. But Jonah doesn't wait for the third day to start preaching. On the very first day, he starts to proclaim his message. And his message can be squeezed down into just a few words. Just a single sentence here in our English Bibles. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's just five words. On day one, we know that Jonah preaches five Hebrew words and he says, Nineveh, you got 40 days. Oh, you might be big and strong. You can torture and oppress other nations, but my God holds you in the palm of his hand. You got 40 days until he crushes you like a bug. Repent, turn, or you will burn. God's wrath will come down like a fireball from heaven. Jonah, all by himself, wandering the streets of this metropolitan city, preaches boldly and brashly and in their face. So what do you think these people will do? Ignore him as some crazy sidewalk prophet? Arrest him, drag him to the king, impale him, stretch him out and flay him like they did other opponents of the Assyrian Empire? Those would be reasonable guesses. But actually, here's what happens, verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. In the original Hebrew, the first word of that sentence is believed. (laughs) Jonah, one guy, preaches five words that he received from God and the very first word of response is believed. The most unlikely people believed God. And there's more. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Man. Something hit them hard in the heart and everything changed. From the greatest to the least, the text says, from the king on his throne to the beasts in the barn, everything changed. The way they thought about their own behavior, they now called it evil, ways that needed to be turned from. Things changed in their hands. They they reacted in outward ways that people could see. What happened here by the power of the word of God was, I think, the biggest conversion in biblical history. And you could see it. That's what the sackcloth and ashes were all about. Uh, y'all know the, the biblical custom of wearing sackcloth and ashes? 
Whenever you felt like really, really bad, either because of grief or guilt in your heart, but you know, your neighbor can't see your heart, um, in ancient uh, cultures, they would often have the custom of showing how they felt on the outside. And we do a tiny bit of that when you wear black at a funeral. You know, I'm grieving inside, so I'm not going to come in my brightly covered floral dress to mom's funeral, right? That would be disrespectful. But they would go even a step further. They would take sackcloth, which is like those burlap sacks that we package coffee beans in, and they dress themselves in it. Because just like the, the bristly fibers were irritating their skin, so the thought of their own sinfulness was irritating to their soul. And the dust and the ashes, the king sat down in them. Often in the Bible, you take scoops of them and just dump them on your head. Because if you felt this ugly inside about the choices you had made, you didn't want to look beautiful on the outside. Right? You'd let your hair go. You, you wouldn't put makeup on. You'd wear dumpy clothes. You'd want the world to see what, what I've done. It just feels so foul in my heart. I want to display that so that the world knows it. And this little snippet, the word of God comes and hearts change and heads change and hands change in ways that people can see. People are grieved by what they've done and yet they're calling urgently upon God to not treat them as they deserve. This is this perfect little snapshot of what it looks like to repent. Uh, grab a pen. Let, let me break down just some key principles we see here that apply not just back then but to you and me today. Four things I think we learned about repentance. Here's the first. First of all, repentant people believe God. That's where it all started, right? The Ninevites believed God. An unrepentant person doesn't believe God. God says, this behavior is bad. An unrepentant person says, no, it's not. It's normal. It's natural. Doesn't seem that bad to me. Repentance starts with believing that God knows what he's talking about. Right? If he recorded it in the Bible, if he said, it's bad, it's worthy of punishment and hell, to repent means to believe him. I'm not going to redefine right and wrong. I'm not going to follow my heart. I'm not going to check the latest survey in America. I'm going to listen to what God says. Believe him. That's where repentance begins. And if you remember one of the very first temptations when the devil came to Adam and Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat that fruit? Yeah, he said we shouldn't touch it. Psh, nah. You won't die. Don't believe God. Now, repentant hearts are humble enough to say, if he's God and I'm just me, if he's been around for all eternity with the peak and pinnacle of wisdom and I'm 42 and a half and forget like the passwords to my, my own accounts, well, why, why wouldn't I believe him? Repentance starts with humility that leads to believing in God. Number two, repentant people are sorry for sin. Oh, um, let me say this really clearly. Repentant people, Christian people, do sin they sin a lot. They're tempted by sin. They fall into sin. Uh, every one of us for the rest of our life is going to struggle with sin. We're never going to get to that spot where sin is part of our past instead of our present. But, but here's what repentant people do. They have a sorrow over sin. I can't be proud of my sin if God isn't proud of it. I can't live in a lifestyle if God doesn't like it. Yes, I might relapse Yes, it might draw me like a magnet, but I can't wake up and say, I'm proud of it, I'd do it again, I'm planning on doing it tomorrow. That is not what repentant people feel because repentant people believe God. They love God. They want to follow the Spirit of God. 
And so the difference isn't between good behavior and bad behavior. The difference happens in the heart. You know, two people might commit the same sin. One is proud of it. One is grieved by it. That's repentance. We believe God as those who've been loved by God and we're sorry for sin. Three, repentant people show that they are sorry. All right, so I can't see your heart. You can't see mine. I don't know if you're proud of the thing you said or deeply grieved by it. And so throughout the Bible, there's this theme, and we can't dictate the details, but repentance will show up just like fruit shows up on a living tree. John the Baptist actually talked about the fruit of repentance. You're sorry? Praise God. How can you show the world that you're sorry? You didn't love your neighbor as you should. I'm I'm glad you realized that's serious to God. Now, Now, how can we let your neighbor know that you want to be a different kind of person. For the king of Nineveh, it was sackcloth and ashes. For you and me, it might look different. We'll talk about more about that in a second. Finally, though, repentant people call on God's compassion. Remember what the king said? Let everyone call urgently on God. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You know, the king didn't fall into that modern trap where, well, God is love, so he'd never be angry at anyone. No. I mean, we get angry at deep injustices, at children being hurt, at, at abuse, at things that we think are evil, we get emotional about. God does too. But the king said, I deserve the fierce anger of God. His wrath should fall down from heaven. But maybe if I call out to him, he'll have mercy. Maybe he won't treat me as I deserve to be treated. I'm, I'm not worthy of his love and affection. Maybe he'll give it even though I'm not. Maybe he'll show me grace. And you put all that together and you get a good snapshot of repentance. Repentant people believe God, which leads them to be sorry for sin, which leads them to want to do things differently and show the world that they're sorry and the whole time they're calling upon God for grace, mercy, and forgiveness that they don't deserve. And you won't believe, unless you're a believer, what God does next. Verse 10, get this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. What? (laughs) The people of Nineveh? The the terrorists in Assyria? They humbled themselves. They, They... They dropped to their knees, covered themselves in sorrow, and God's heart was so compassionate, so big, so loving. He he didn't make them balance the scales. He didn't make them fix their karma. He just offered them the one thing that no one would think they had coming, his mercy, his love, and his forgiveness. And so I would summarize Jonah chapter 3 in this way. Write this down. God relents when we repent, And we repent through the word God sent. What's my grade for cheesy church drives? You like that one? (laughs) No, God relents. We see that, literally. He relents when we repent. He saw what they did. He backed off from his anger and justice. God relents when we repent. But before any of us think, well, how great that I'm a repentant person. Know this, they would never have repented if it wasn't for the word that God sent through the prophet Jonah. God gets the credit for forgiving them. God gets the credit for changing their hearts, which is why we say being saved, even faith itself, is a gift 
that comes down from God. Uh, I can't teach you everything about repentance today, but I hope you remember this key truth. God relents when we repent, and we repent through the word that God sent. Yeah, about 500 years ago, there was another pastor who gave his church a report card. He was reading his Bible and thinking about his church, his church culture, the denomination he was a part of. He noticed some things that lined up really nicely with the scriptures and and there were some other things that didn't seem to fit. And so the pastor started to make a list of things he wanted to talk about. And he wrote down one thing and then five things and then ten things and then 30 things and then 50 things and then 70 things. The pastor liked to talk, huh? And then he reached 90 things and 91, 92, 93, 94, 95 things. And he took that whole list to the local bulletin board of his town, the door of the local church. He hammered it there to start a conversation. Do you know the story? There was 1517. The man was Martin Luther. And the 95 things are what we call the 95 theses. Let me show you a picture of the 95 things this pastor wanted to talk about. Uh, You might have heard that story before. If you're new to church, maybe not. But do any of you know the very, very first thing on Martin Luther's long, long, long list? I'll show you. Forgive the typo on my quote. Luther wrote this in the very first thesis. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed, or Jesus wanted, the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. What was he saying? He's saying when Jesus said, repent and believe the good news, he was telling us the whole thing. This was on a little footnote in the story of the Christian faith. Repentance, believing God, taking sin seriously, earnestly desiring to serve God with your life, calling upon his mercy and compassion. This is what it's all about. In other words, repentant people are Christian people and anyone who's not repentant is not Christian and anyone who is repentant is. Anyone who's proud of their sin instead of sorrowing for it, no matter what they call themselves, is not good with God. And someone who is grieved by their sin and believes in Jesus, no matter how much they struggle with, it is good with God. Because the one who repents and believes in the cross of Jesus is the one who will be saved. Which is why I want to leave you today with four quick takeaways. I don't have room in your notes for this, but if you want to write them down, you can. There's just four things that I'm taking away really practically from my life today and I want to share with your life too. Number one, ready for it? Repent. Shocked? (laughs) It was actually Jesus' first sermon, I think. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Um, Some of you here today, you know, you're holding on to sin. You kind of like it. There's some short-term benefits. Jesus would say, do not, do not, do not throw away the kingdom of God, eternal joy and happiness, just to hold on to something like this. Change your mind about it. Change your heart about it. I have no doubt it feels good. I have no doubt it's going to be hard to follow me, but I'm offering you eternity. Don't throw it away for the things of this world. It's better to die to yourself now and have life with God than if that doesn't describe your heart just yet. Repent. It's not too late. Uh, Maybe it's why God brought you here today. Number two, the Bible. I'm about to tell you as a pastor on a Sunday morning, to read the Bible. Whoa, shocked. (laughs) Here's why. If God relents when we repent, 
but we repent through the word God sent, then how important is the word God sent? You know, we often think, you know, if we're raised with a lot of church or we've read the Bible before, like, okay, I know that. I know where my faith is. Maybe I don't need an organized religion or a morning devotion or a Sunday church service. I'm still going to pray. I'm not going to become an atheist tomorrow, but here's what happens. The human heart is a lot like the, the alignment on your car. Right? It's going perfectly straight. And then even if there's not a major accident, it just it starts to drift. If you only think about math, just 1% or 2% off over time ends up with a big gap. I call this the Christian kid at college effect. You know what I'm talking about? I know so many really great young men and women who are raised with a ton of church, ton of Jesus, ton of law, ton of gospel. Maybe they go to a Christian school where there's chapel services and memory work. They know a lot about the Bible. And so they get to graduation. They go off to college. And, you know, college is crazy and things are busy. And maybe you don't have a car on campus and your church home is so far away. So Christian kids start to think, well, my faith is going to be fine even if I'm not connected to the word of God right now. And it is. For a bit. But then as the alignment starts to shift a little bit, when God doesn't have a a chance to shape your thoughts and your values and your actions, maybe you remember what the church back home teaches, but you start to forget, why did I believe that? What was the passage that led me to that conclusion? What was the, the chapter in the verse that gave me that conviction? When that starts to fade from your mind, it's like studying Spanish verb forms back when you were in high school, right? If you don't use it, you start to lose it. The same thing happens with faith. And so for all of you who are maybe going through a time of transition, maybe you're sending a kid off to college or you're going to college, or maybe you're close to a big move or you won't be close to this church anymore, I just want to urge you and beg you, if repentance matters this much to Jesus and repentant hearts happen through their contact with the word of God, just like the Ninevites in Jonah, then I'm just begging you, don't, don't presume that your faith will be fine without the thing that creates and strengthens faith. Right? I don't get royalties when you download the Bible app. Download the Bible app. We're not selling Bibles in the lobby. We're giving them away. Grab one. Whatever it takes for you to remain connected to this word so that your faith and your future is lined up towards the kingdom of God is worth every second. Number three. Produce fruit. Remember I said that people who are sorry for sin, they try to show that they're sorry it's what, the, what John the Baptist called the fruit of repentance, and it is so powerful. Um, if you're ever reading your Bible or you're here in church and you're listening to a message and the Holy Spirit convicts you of a way that you've treated another person that isn't good and loving, that's a great start. Right? To not be proud of a sin you've committed, but to, to be grieved by it, to want to change and be a better person is amazing. But the person, maybe that you've sinned against, that you haven't treated well, doesn't know what's happening in your heart. And that's why it's so important to produce fruit, to do something that they can see. I can't dictate the details of what this looks like. It's different in every situation. But if you can think of someone, like maybe you haven't had the strongest relationship with them, there's some tension at work, you had an argument with an old friend, you know, things in marriage aren't terrible, but they're not great. What would it look like for you to produce fruit? 
you know, if you're the husband who's maybe reading the Bible and you come to that part, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy. And you think, oh man, like I, I have a contract with my job and I have a covenant with my wife and I pour my time and energy and passion into one. I'm not so sure how much I poured into the other. And you just realize you've literally worked harder to make the boss happy who will soon replace you and have presumed upon the sacred vow and covenant that you've made with your wife. If, if that hits you, praise God for that moment. Now it's time to show it. It's time to sit down and take her by the hands and say, wow, I've, I've taken our marriage for granted. I, I don't know how to be less busy at work just yet. It's going to be messy, but I, I want you to know that you're a priority in my life. I love our kids, but you came before the kids. I love my job, but it's just a job. Right? I mean, wives, you tell me, what would it mean if you could see that kind of fruit? It gives you hope. It, it lets you know that this situation, we're, we're trying to get it back on track. Like producing fruit is what people, God can see your heart, your neighbor can't. Or if you're that mom who's gotten like totally caught up in America and child raising culture, you know what this is? The kids got to be cute little onesies and we got to have a fancy birthday cake. when they're, And it, it just hits you in that moment. Wow, I put seven hours into a crazy birthday party for my one-year-old who will not remember. <laughs> When's the last time I spent seven hours thinking about how to love my husband? And it's backwards, right? And, and we all know it. Like, when that conviction happens and that's coming from God, how can you show him? Right? How can... How can you wing the birthday party but plan the getaway? For the sake of the one-year-old itself, how can you make sure that this is strong instead of flipping it upside down? I don't, I don't know what that looks like. If it's a text, a date, a vacation you book, an apology. But I'll tell you this, when people see fruit, it gives hope. And maybe you got in an argument with someone and, and there's fault on both sides. But I'll tell you what, that, that relationship's just going to drift until someone produces the fruit and says, you know what, uh, I know it was a hard conversation, but my God wants me to be patient and kind. And when I said that to you, that was not patient or kind. I, I'm asking for your forgiveness. Now, human beings, families, churches can get through almost anything if there is repentance that is visible through fruit. And so when the word of God convicts us to get back to the love of God, let's produce the fruit of the Spirit that other people can see. Fourth, finally, Jesus. Write that down. <laughs> Put a box around it. Put a bunch of stars. Whatever you got to do, Jesus. Remember the king of Nineveh said, who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. If you know about Jesus, your hand's going to go up and say, Dear King, I know. Will God relent? Do I have to hold my breath? Is the fireball of his judgment going to come down on me? If you know Jesus, you don't have to wonder about such things. We know that God has turned from his fierce anger. We know that Jesus said in John chapter 3, he did not come 2,000 years ago to judge the world, but to save the world. We do know that even we, though we struggle with so many things, that we have a Savior who wiped us clean, that the, the fear of God looking down on us, judging us, punishing us, it, it's gone because we have a Jesus who took the punishment in our place. 
But God looking at us like sackcloth and dust and ashes and ugliness. No, no, no. That's not how God sees his people. As the blessing says, his face shines upon us. Because we're clothed in the perfection and righteousness of Jesus. Just like the shocking story of the people of Nineveh, they, they cried out to God for forgiveness. And in the very next verse, God gives it. He does the same thing today. The same God says to you as you're sitting there, wishing you could do things over, you don't have to make it up to me. There's no scoring system. I'm not into karma. I'm into compassion. I'm into grace. And right now in this moment, I've relented and smiled upon you as my forgiven child. Right? The heart of repentance is not beating ourselves up and trying harder. At the heart of repentance is turning away from something that isn't Jesus because at the end of the day, there is nothing like Jesus. God relents when we repent. And we repent through the word God sent. Thank God. Let's pray. Ah, dear Jesus, amazing to think that when we hit bottom, um, that you just respond lightning fast with mercy. You did it for the wicked people of Nineveh. You've done it with us as sinners. And we're so grateful for it. Uh, It sounds appealing, God, to make us earn it. Maybe we feel a little bit better when we deserve a spot in heaven. But how could we ever make it after all of our sins? So we're so grateful for a system of grace that those of us who struggle to be good people or selfless spouses or great compassionate neighbors, um, we can change, God. Yes, we can try. But at the end of the day, we know that we're good with you because of what Jesus has done. May this be the heart and center of our teaching from this day forward. Let every person who comes here know the, the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of your love, how repentance fits, and how it all leads to Jesus. It's in his holy and perfect name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.